Welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast by Scott L. Wyatt, President of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash President's Podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript for today's podcast. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. I'm your host, Steve Meredith, and I'm joined today in studio by President Wyatt. Scott, how are you? Terrific. Thanks very much, Steve. We, uh, we are both fighting a little bit of the plague here, and uh, but we will do our best. Now we'll, you tell me. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Small room. And it's a little room. Yeah, two, two guys with coffee. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, uh, we are uh, we are in the midst in the spring of 2020 of talking about um, really what is has been a series of articles scattered throughout, uh, certainly throughout the journals of higher education, but even in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and other things that are predicting rather apocalyptic things for the future of higher education, particularly as uh, relates to enrollment. Anyway, we're we are talking in this series of podcasts about uh, about a lot of different aspects about what we can expect about the future, particularly of enrollment in higher education. And we have our own local resident expert about that here to talk to us today. Yes, we're happy to welcome Stuart Jones, Vice President for Advancement and Enrollment Management here at SUU. It's good to be here. You've spent a lot of time in this business. I have. I think I'm on year 27, maybe 28. Who knows? And yeah, you've, I've loved it. You've been working so long that you're almost as old as me. And I'm almost as old as Steve. Yeah. Yes. And who would have thought? I'm almost dead. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, when we talk about enrollment numbers, maybe we'll be glad we're in our late 50s. That's right. Well, this is uh, this is you mentioned, Stephen. This is so fascinating because we we get the chronicle of higher education on our desk every week, and there is a theme. Um, of course, this is the industry written periodical that that everybody gets, and there's a theme, and the theme is ah, <laughs> that's the theme. That's the theme. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, every single edition, there's yeah. one or two. Stories and they had a, a really large insert piece just a month or so ago that was the what did, what, did, what was that called? The looming crisis. The looming crisis and uh, enrollment and and articles have captions such as "Our university's dying and so will yours" and and um, we're not immune and neither are you and just all these kinds of uh, articles. If we put that into just a little bit of a perspective at SUU, it gives us cause to be concerned, but we've actually done pretty good in the last few years, haven't we, Stuart? We have. I think the more difficult years are to come uh, when those children that were, the fewer children that were born during the Great Recession turn 18. And so I think we'll see, if we see a precipice, it will be uh, beginning at about 2025, 2026. Um, but we've had a we've had a good run, uh, yes, for the last few years. So why don't you give us just a little bit of a perspective? 
Yeah. So, so you came, as I recall, in in uh, January of 2014, and and took a look at at our enrollment, and it had been virtually flat from 2010 until 2014. We had averaged about 8,200 students, up up a little bit, down a little bit. But I remember that you uh, were clearly not satisfied. We happen to be in a state that rewards growth, and uh, and the state had been growing, but but we but we hadn't been. And so, you took it upon yourself to make uh, you know to make enrollment a priority. And uh, one of the things you did is is certainly change some of the people that were that were in charge of enrollment, and some left, and and some uh, rededicated themselves. And uh, so the cool thing is, uh, since 2014, we've had uh, we've had applications that have gone up 60 percent. Our enrollment has actually gone up from 8,200 to 12,374 at its high this semester, which is 51 percent. Our uh, first-time full-time students have gone up 64 uh, percent. And and the nice thing is, in addition to our growth, we've actually increased in our quality. So our our index, which is that combination of the SAT, ACT, and our GPA has actually gone up as well um, by about 3.3 uh, points during that time as well. So it's been a good it's been a good run. And our net tuition has also gone up about 31%. <laughs> and I know our CFO would want me to say that. That's right. <laughs> so we, about the time you started being responsible for enrollment, that's when the shift occurred too. And help us understand what happened. What, what? Well, I think... I think the most important thing that that we did is made enrollment our focus. Uh, I love what I love what Warren uh, Buffett uh, says. He 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 and Bill Gates were asked what the key to their success was, and they both said the same thing: focus. Uh, you can you can you cannot do everything, but you can do virtually anything if you if you really set your mind to it. And I think that comes from comes from the top. I think you made it a high, high priority of the university to grow and to retain students, and uh, we put it on the on the agenda of every uh, cabinet meeting, and that's that's what we talk about. It's what we we think about. It's what we have invested in, and I think that's probably the most important thing we've done. Is simply said, this is important to us, and and uh, and we're going to do what it takes to grow. I think the second thing that that uh, that we've done is, and I love Jim Collins' analogy of the bus. The first thing is get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus, get the right people in the right seats on the bus, and then and then decide where the bus is going to go. And I think we we had a a very solid staff, but I but I think um, they were not as growth minded as you would have wanted them to be. And so we worked hard to to make sure we got the right people on the bus in the right seats. And then uh, all agreed on where the bus was going to go. And I, I think that was very fundamentally important. And then I think we made, uh, as a cabinet, I think we made a commitment. There's a lot of universities, as I talk to presidents and vice presidents of enrollment, that are very interested in growth. But I think very few are ultimately committed to growth, like doing whatever it takes to grow and, and put the necessary investments of, of resources and people uh, to make that happen. So those are three that I thought were fundamentally key to, you know, to to turning things around. Well, and then we pulled in some, um, and this is probably part of what you're saying, but we've gone out and sought some of the best information that we can get. We've 
we recognized that we didn't know everything. And so we spent a lot of time working with other groups and reaching out. You and I traveled to one of the most difficult states in the country, Illinois, in terms of enrollment. And um, I, I actually wish that everybody could have gone with us because we came home from that. That was, that was my Sobering. first summer. Yeah. And um, we, we had chief financial officers of major regional universities that said, we're not going to make it. Or if we do, we're going to have to merge with somebody because it's not good. And uh, I just think the more the more we recognize the potential vulnerabilities and all of the challenges, the the more our head is out of the sand and looking around and really like just reading the chronicle because every single right. week there's a story about uh, somebody. That, but the more we're on our game, the more we recognize how much we have to work. And the more we work, the better prepared we are for the eventualities that might come. Well, I, I know for certain I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, it was very sobering for us to go to, to Illinois and talk about, uh, talk to institutions that had decreasing state resources, decreasing pool of high school graduates, intense competition from, from all of the states surrounding them. But it, but it also highlighted for me that there was a lot of things um, that I didn't know. I came from a world of advancement. Um, and I made, some, I, I made some huge whopping mistakes that first year that, that, uh, that were important me, for me to learn from. I, I remember hearing the quote from Mark Twain that certainly reminded me of me. He said, it, it's not what you don't know that troubles me. It's what you know that just ain't so. <laughs> and there were, there were a lot of things I knew. Uh, that that just weren't so, and uh, and I remember hearing uh, a couple of years ago a, a quote from a sports psychologist that said, you know, the greatest change comes from pain. And as I think back of, of one of the, I think one of the the fundamental uh, keys uh, for our office is that we suffered some early pain. We made some mistakes. We we did some things that that proved costly to the university that first year. And I was just glad you let me keep my job. But from that, I think we learned uh, humility. Uh, we learned that there are some people out there that are a lot smarter than us, and so we've teamed with some really good uh, consultants. And, uh, and, and I think that pain has caused us to be more hungry. I think it's helped us be more focused. It's, it's made uh, enrollment management uh, really central to what, we, to what we do at the university. So if there's an upside to pain is that uh, we, we tried to quickly learn from our mistakes and uh, we didn't have to take any budget cuts. We found ways to grow revenue uh, and enrollment. I don't want to derail the conversation at all, but but I know that President Wyatt likes to talk to me on these podcasts because I bring the perspective of a faculty member. So faculty members, as a general rule, um, roll their eyes hard when we talk about growth because where the rubber meets the road, they don't need any more students in their classes in a lot of cases. They don't need, so why all this growth, Stu? Why, why is it important to go from 8,200 to 11,500? Well, and, I, and I'm going to defer some of that answer to our president, who is a former legislator. Uh, we just happen to be in a state that, uh, that rewards growth. We get operating funding. We've been able to, to get buildings as well. 
And you know what we've what we've seen across the country is that we cannot think of an example where an institution grew and it hurt their quality. I think we are a better institution today being above 12,000 than we were at 8,000. Um, as long as we're re- rewarding uh, those departments and those programs that grow, I don't think there's a downside for the faculty. It's when you grow and then don't provide them the necessary resources, and then it just it's a, it's a, it's a burden at, at that right. point. Yeah, we've kept the faculty-student ratio the same through the whole growth. We have. And from your perspective as a legislator, why grow? Well, so the state's got um, a, the only way we receive money to pay the salaries of the faculty and the staff and to keep the doors open and pay the heating bill is that the legislature gives it to us. We're one of those fortunate states where the state has actually given us about half of our budget. Most states, it's not even close to that. They're mostly dependent on tuition. And um, in order for us to um, be relevant, in order for us to help the state economy, in order for us to help build the tax revenue that then comes back and pays our budget, we have to help the economy grow. And we do that by increasing the percentage of Utah residents who have degrees and certificates post high school. So the legislature wants us to grow because they want to see the economy grow. And when the economy grows, there's money to fund what we're doing. If the economy stagnates, or if the economy in our community stagnates, or if the other universities in Utah are contributing to the growth of degrees, but we're not, then they forget us. They say, you're not part of our strategy for building the state. And I would add to that, I think, I think providing accessibility to students uh, in many ways blesses their mm-hmm. lives. That's right. Uh, providing, providing something that's affordable and accessible, um, you know, provides them greater joy and happiness in their career, which improves their, their health, their marriages. There's, there's very little downside, um, if any, to higher education. So in that, in that list of very impressive numbers that you started with, 51%? growth since President White arrived. Yep. What was the net tuition thing? What does that mean exactly? And, and isn't that a part of why we also want to grow? It is, uh, because you can't just look at the gross number. It's There's a fine balance between growing students and also growing revenue. There are school, schools, particularly privates now, that are increasing their enrollments, but they're doing that at the sacrifice of revenue. So we back out the instructional costs uh, of, of what it takes to educate a student, and then it's whatever's left over we call net tuition. And ultimately, that increase of 30-something percent that you said, um, that has allowed us to add additional academic programs, right? Now, here's something that is of interest to faculty. Um, if we want to expand what we're doing, the legislature does, as President White suggests, give us half of what our operating cost is, but the other half comes from tuition. And so if there's more tuition, there's more flexibility to be able to to grow those programs that we think grow are programs, important or add, add additional programs. Add faculty. Add uh, faculty. That's how we've been able to keep the uh, student-faculty ratio the same. Last year we added, was it 23? I don't remember the number. Uh, I should, but a big number. Yeah, yeah. 23-some-odd faculty because we have good net tuition revenue. So there's really not a downside to growth, despite the fact that the three of us regularly go to public uh, events where 
people pepper us with these questions about growth and why do we have a plan for reasonably aggressive growth here at Southern Utah University. There's, there's really very little downside that anybody can come up with. Well, the fear is that as you grow, right, you lose I understand that intimate, the fear. <laughs> you lose that intimate relationship. Right. Sure, but we've been very careful to make sure that doesn't we've, happen. We've kept the faculty-student ratio the same. We we just finished building a business building. It's full of small classrooms, so we're still committed to that personal relationship. But here's here's the the other part of this. Since we're just kind of discussing the why of growth that, frankly, we were too small at 8,000 students. We couldn't afford to be what we were trying to be. We, um, we couldn't afford to have certain majors. We couldn't afford to have Division I athletics. We couldn't afford um, a lot of what we were doing because we were, and, and we were right on the edges of a lot of those things. I've heard you speak to the efficiencies of Yeah, so of as you grow, as well. you grow into the economies of scale. You spread the fixed costs out over a larger number of students and you get the benefit of more specialized labor and and that makes you more efficient and the average cost per student drops a little bit and then that gives us the money we need to build new programs and and uh, by doing that students have more opportunities there's a broader a range of courses they can take and degrees they can take and Faculty are able to teach a broader range of things. We get to add new faculty members to departments, which brings brings in people with specialties that we didn't have before. The whole school becomes better in every respect. We double if we were to double it. Well, we du- we increased in size by fifty percent, but we didn't have to increase in size the president's office by fifty percent. In fact, the president's office is smaller today than it was when I showed up. We didn't. Uh, we haven't increased advancement by fifty percent. We haven't increased alumni by fifty percent. Yeah. We haven't increased what we're spending on athletics by fifty percent. So where's that fifty percent gone? It's gone to hiring faculty and expanding programs and increasing the quality of the experience. Plus, the students really actually love the growth. They they feel the energy of it. I think if there's a downside to growth is that there there are um, a handful, probably a minority in our community that have been affected by, by parking. Um, we've certainly impacted surrounding neighborhoods with housing opportunities for students. So that's if, I think if there's pushback, I, I probably hear about it from neighbors that are close to the university that are, that are having to go through some change. Well, where do we go from here? Well, let, let, me, let me share with you, if you don't mind, I think one of the, the, the innovative, innovative approaches that we took to growth that we will, that we will use to get to where we want to go. Um, when, we brought in, uh, when we brought in Ruffalo Noel Levitz, they, they suggested that we do a detailed strategic enrollment plan. I hadn't been a part of one of those before, but, but I, I think it was a great benefit to the university. And we ended up engaging, um, you know, over 70 people in the process of where do we want to go and what do we want to look like enrollment-wise. At the end of the day, we did something that was called uh, Shark Tank. And I hope we don't get sued by NBC or CBS, whoever that is that 
airs it, but uh, <laughs> they're not going to get much out of me. Yeah. But we, what we did is we solicited from the entire campus enrollment ideas. Like, give us some suggestions or ideas of how you think we can grow enrollment. And we ended up having 143 strategies that were presented to us. The cabinet took a look at them and said, look, we want to have 40 action plans build out from this. And then we're going to have you come to the cabinet in a Shark Tank environment, and you're going to present it and defend it and show us what kind of return on investment you can get. And, and we'll invest in a certain number of plans. And I, the reason I want to tell you about this is because when I hadn't, I hadn't heard of other schools that had, had done something quite like this. And I think it's been very instrumental in, in our growth. That first year, uh, we started doing the planning in 15 and I think did the first funding of Shark Tank. We call it Shark Tank 1 in 2016. But we ended up in, investing. We had 18 presentations given to the cabinet, and we ended up investing in, in 12 of those. Now, some of them were for international recruiters, some of them were financial aid counselors, um, some were for out-of-state recruiters, summer school we invested in, in online. And here's the cool thing. Not all the plans were successful. In fact, of, of the 12 that we funded, um, eight were successful and we funded them ongoing. A couple were busts, one we transformed. Stuart, I think if you went to an entrepreneur and said eight out of twelve were yeah, no kidding, I, I they think would say be you fine. hit the you hit the ball out of the park. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't apologize for that. I think that's that's going to happen when when you invest in in these proposals. But here's the cool thing: our return on investment so far is four hundred and forty-two percent return on uh, return on investment. So Any entrepreneur would take that, and also. they they certainly. They certainly would. Well, that helped propel us to get to 10,000 students. But I'll never forget when we got to 10,000 students, I was just putting my feet up on the desk to kind of take the weekend <laughs> off. When, uh, when our president here, Scott Wyatt, announced that we were not satisfied at 10, that we wanted to get to 15 and, and beyond. And so we did Shark Take again. And this time we had 19 proposals, and we ended up funding 10 of those. And I'll never forget what you said before we funded the 10, you, you said, I wish, I wish we could fund them all. We just didn't have the resources, but we invested another million dollars into it. And that has, th those two investments of those 20 initiatives, I think has been fundamentally key. And so where do we go from here? I think, I think one of the things I know for certain is that you can't get where you're going by doing the same thing you've always done, that we have to continue if we want to grow, we have to continue to invest resources, we have to continue to tweak um, everything we do uh, just a little bit better. The, the Shark Tank is a very entrepreneurial kind of approach that's not always used in government. No. <laughs> um, in fact, we, we were just talking about, about this. We were. Somebody said something about it, Stephen. I'm trying to remember the phrase, but but really what Shark Tank was is who are our customers and what do they need? That's really what it was. It's okay, the university is what it is, but what are the needs that we haven't been addressing and what are the opportunities and how can we better serve people? And um and we recognized that we didn't have the answers to all those questions, and so we opened it up to all the employees to submit suggestions from their vantage point of, 
what they thought we weren't doing and or what we could do. And so that's that's been really quite a interesting project for us, hasn't it? It has, and we've been really pleased with the results of that. Um, is that going to be enough to take us where we want to go? Um, no, I I think the future, um, while it, it is troubling to look at and read the reports, and 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 when you look at the states that are actually going to grow um, in the next decade, they are largely Western states other than Texas. It's Utah, it's Colorado, it's Idaho, it's it's Wyoming, it's Montana. But you you look at those states and say, but there's there's not many people there. But those are those are the only six states I think that are going to be projected to grow at 2.5 percent or above. But there's not a lot there, and so we've got to compete. Uh, not only getting more market share in Utah and Southern Nevada and, and Southern California, but we've got to expand with new academic programs to meet student needs and meet employer needs. We've got to be um, aggressive in online, both domestically and internationally. You know, there's a hundred million people in in just America that have a high school diploma with no college. And there's 36 million that have some college, no degree. And so we've got to be very aggressive at, at meeting those online students where they are. Some of them might be mid-career that are looking for an advancement uh, in their company or beyond. It might be a, it might be a single mother that, that, that can't uproot and, and come to Cedar City. And we want to be able to provide them uh, access to a Southern Utah University degree. And so we think online, both domestically and internationally, is going to be something uh, that will will propel us uh, in, in the next decade. We, uh, we've also had a lot of success in the, uh, in the international recruitment world, bringing students, particularly bringing students uh, to campus. We've bucked a national trend. Those numbers, as you know, have been going down uh, in recent years. But we've been able to, I think, provide a real valuable experience uh, for students uh, in, in Asia, uh, Europe in particular, um, and that's, those students have had a lot of success here. So those are a few ideas for the future. I think another initiative that's really important to SU's uh, future growth is, is continuing to, to build the university's brand. It's like, what do people think about us? And I, I think one of the things we've learned from a Cicero report is that there's a very close relationship to people's awareness of our university and their perceived uh, quality of, of SUU. And so we want to, I think, invest uh, heavily in social media and other uh, out marketing outlets to build the brand of the university such that they're, they're willing to pay um, more to get an SUU education than perhaps some of our peers. And I know that's been important to you as well, President. Yeah, what we've, what we've learned is, is that uh, particularly in our state, Utah, that there is a almost perfect correlation between familiarity and perception of quality. So the more familiar somebody is with the university, the higher they see it being in terms of quality. And uh, that's always a little bit of a problem when you're in the smallest community, tucked away from most of the population centers because people don't become as familiar with you as automatically. So I think that for Southern Utah University, we have a little bit bigger of a battle to build familiarity than schools do that are right in the middle of the main population centers, the Wasatch Front or those kind of places. But this is important not just simply for 
um, growth. This is important for every aspect of the university, that if we can build the reputation of the school, then that means that the diploma has more currency to it. It means that it's easier to, to recruit high-quality faculty and staff. It means that it's easier to to get investments from philanthropists and community members. It's just, in every respect, building the brand is very, very important. I was talking with a friend of mine who served on the governor's cabinet, and she mentioned um, a particular university and said, wow, this university's become amazing. And I, and I says, well, help me understand why you would say that. Not that I was questioning her. I just wanted to know the basis for her opinion that this university had become amazing. The only two things that she could tell me was that she'd seen billboards and it had grown. That was it. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. That the, the mere fact that there's energy is interpreted as being quality, which and, and the mere fact that familiarity went up because they had some billboards translated into a higher quality school. So one of the advantages of growing, we, we've talked about the importance of growing to serve the needs of students, to increase the percentage of people in Utah that have, or throughout our region, that have bachelor's degrees or post-high school certificates or degrees. And we've, we've talked about all of these um, to help build the economy and everything, but another reason to grow simply is to build the reputation of the school. And and not just among um, legislators or parents of prospective students, but, you know, if... if Everybody. We're, yeah, if we're going to become the university of the jobs, not only the university of the parks, but if we're going to prepare students with job readiness uh, programs, then we have to convince industry to partner with us. And the better our brand is, the right. more likely industry partners are going to want to get together and, with us. And the more likely industry um, builds in our community. That's right. more it, likely we are to attract people to build here. Mm-hmm. Builds the economy for everybody. So it's, it's, it's a big part of everything. But building the brand is important, and we've been working really hard to increase the reputation of the school. Yes, we have. And it's it's not easy when you're off the Wasatch Front in a rural community. It, it takes a great deal of work to, to get, you know, in, in the newspaper and get on the minds of, of students, um, high school counselors, parents, legislators, et cetera. But we're working hard to do that. When we say Wasatch Front, for those that don't know that term, the Wasatch Front is this beautiful mountain range that uh, runs from about, Provo, Utah County, up to Salt Lake, and, and then a little bit further north. It's where the majority of the people in Utah live. And it happens to be where most of the big uh, television stations and sure. radio stations and newspapers are. And and we're um, a few hours away from that, living in a beautiful community of about 30,000 people. It's not the origin of all state news. That's the bottom line. I'm thrilled when we show up on the evening weather forecast. <laughs> this know, is, very often, we, we don't even make that. So yeah, that, this, that's always a nice day. This is actually the greatest place to work and live and study. It's just an amazing place. We're, we're here in this beautiful community 
surrounded by seven national parks within a four-hour drive, the closest one 20 minutes away. Got a Tony Award-winning Shakespeare theater that's, that does a lot more than just Shakespeare. But, yeah. And we've got, um, it's just a beautiful place, great history. And even on a chilly January day, I look out and it's blue skies. Yeah, it's beautiful. A lot of blue skies. I can walk to work every day. Students come from 63 countries around the world. They like it here because it's a good environment and it's safe and and uh, and it's and it's high quality. Our challenge on building the brand is helping everybody recognize this quality because they don't recognize the quality unless they're more familiar with the school. It's it's no different than a consumer in a store. They're they're typically going to buy the brand they've heard of. They assume that if they've heard of it, um, there's yeah, there's some implied right. quality. Well, as we go forward from here, um, one of the things that we need to be very aware of is that the enrollment challenges that universities and colleges around the country are facing may come to us. It's just that Utah is a little bit behind everyone else in the declining um, of students coming to college because we've had a higher birth rate than many other places. And because of the economic activity in Utah, primarily in the center of the, the center of the population, the Wasatch Front, a um, lot of economic growth up there. But our birth rate dropped in 2008 like everybody else's. And we're going to see some changes in 2026. And so part of this growth strategy is to have a, a uh, running head start when we know that the inevitable disruptions are going to occur in about six years. Not only a running head start, but I think sort of a diversified approach to enrollment so that uh, if if we take a hit in in state, we'll have out of state or international or online to help help back us up. I mean, the fact is that we live in a beautiful place, but it is not designed for growth. Our community is small. We are extremely rural. We have two very competitive uh, universities on either side of us that are also growing. And so we don't have what I would call a lot of, um, you know, easy answers to growth. We can't just roll out of bed and expect that we're going to have a, a class. We, we actually have to work for, for every student that we get. And I think, uh, I, I think the future going forward is going to be even more intense and competitive. And that if we take our foot off the pedal, uh, we could easily decline uh, in-state. And the out-of-state market uh, in, in Las Vegas is not that big. And there's increasingly um, more competition to get those students as well and Southern California. And so I think we have to continue to, to uh, stay focused. We have to continue to provide a, a, an enormously valuable opportunity for students when they come here, that they know that it's, it's not about us, it's about them, and that everything we do is to help them be successful, to have a great experience, to get a wonderful job, become engaged uh, citizens in their communities. And it's important uh, that we continue to invest in things like uh, innovative ideas, three-year degree, partnerships with Southwest. Um, you, you'll probably on some show talk about our best friend partnership. 
Those kinds of innovative uh, partnerships, I think, are, are very key to what we're doing. And then making sure that we continue to add um, and update our, our programs so that they reflect the needs and wants of the students and also of uh, future employers. The value of having in students from uh, other countries and from other states, um, not only is it financially helpful for the school, but it brings a lot of new ideas and new people and opportunities. But I grew up in a rural community, and uh, I remember thinking diversity was the two white kids that um, were a member of a different church than mine. <laughs> well, <laughs> and that I, was diversity for your community. <laughs> and, I felt, and now I, I, uh, I have such great friends from countries all around the world and different states and from different racial and ethnic backgrounds. And um, they just, they bring a tremendous amount of um, beauty into my world. And I, I get to think through ideas that have, have never been presented to me before. Um, and even in our online, you know, I'm, I've, I'm on the record here as being a big proponent of online education. And, um, you know, I, I literally can go anywhere in the country now and get an invitation to go to lunch with a student who thinks I am their great friend and mentor despite the fact that we have never met each other. Yeah. You know, we've never seen each other face-to-face, except on Skype. I mean, that they would know what I looked like maybe, and I would know what they looked like, but we've never shook hands. We've never been in the same room as each other. And, uh, and you know, the minute I let it know I'm going to be in Virginia or I'm going to be in Florida or I'm going to be somewhere, I, you got I've, got a, I've got friends that are great friends. I stay in great contact. Well, and as our students develop those kind of friendships from people that are in different communities around the state and the country and the world, it, we we provide them with uh, connections and opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise. That's right. So it's a tremendous value. Well, we continue to grow. Um, and we do so because it makes us better. It makes our students have, it gives our students better opportunities. We become a stronger institution. We become a stronger state because um, that's a very big part of our mission is to help grow the economy and, and increase the quality of life, which is different than the economy. It's part of that, but it's only, but it's bigger than that. You've been listening to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. We've had as our guest in studio today, Stuart Jones, who is our vice president for advancement and enrollment management. And uh, Stu, we appreciate you coming by and helping us kick off this round of podcasts. Thanks for having me. And we thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate everything you do for us. We'll be back again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Solutions for Higher Education. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash President's Podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript of today's podcast. 
The original music for this podcast was composed by Jack Barton, a master's degree student in music technology at SUU. For more information about Southern Utah University, please visit www.suu.edu.